0: Okay, we're doing now Monday's portion of the era. At the end of Sunday's portion, God is instructing Moshe and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, about the Jewish people, about Pharaoh, about Pharaoh, to take the Jews out of Egypt. So therefore, Rashi told us yesterday, since we're now focusing on Moses and Aaron, and Moshe and Aaron, we're stopping this conversation God's having with them and giving their lineage And, of course, um, we could say, well, this isn't the first time (laughs) we've heard about Moses and Aaron. You know, we heard the whole previous Torah portion all about Moses and Aaron. But now they're being mentioned as leaders. They're now the leaders of the Jewish people. And, therefore, the Torah is showing their lineage to show truly they are the fitting leaders of the Jewish people. So the verse begins, we're in chapter 6, verse 14. These are the heads of their father's house, the sons of Reuven, the firstborn of Israel, Hano, Balu, Chetron, Charmi. These are the families of Reuven. So Rashi explains, we said we want to explain the genealogy of Moses and Aaron, but we're not just starting with Moses and Aaron or their ancestor Levi. We're starting at the beginning. We go from Reuven and we go Reuven and then Shimon and then to Levi. And then from Levi, we're going to focus on to get to Moses and Aaron. And in some versions of Rashi, it also includes another explanation, like, wow, well, you know, well, okay, that's nice, but like, why bother? You could still just start with Levi. Our whole point here is to explain the lineage of Moses and Aaron, that at the end of the book of, of Genesis, of Rashi, when Jacob, Jacob blesses all the tribes, all of his sons, to the first three tribes, Reuvon, Shimon, and Levi, Jacob said some harsher words some words of rebuke. So therefore, we are now going to mention them specifically and exclusively to show that they're also very distinguished, not to misrepresent them, so to speak. The sons of Shimon: Imuel, Yamin, Ohad, Yochin, Sochar, Shaul, the son of the Canaanis, who was Dina, these are the families of Shimon. These are the names of the sons of Levi in order of their birth, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi is 137. So why do we... Now, we know the purpose of this is to come to the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. So we're going to speak more about the children of Levi. We understand that, but why the years of Levi's life? What is does that actually anything? We also not the years of Reuben, it's the years of Shimon. But from the years of Levi's life, we actually learn out how long was the enslavement. Because we know that as long as any of the sons of Jacob were alive, the Egyptians were scared to start out. Even though it's said that with the passing of Jacob, already the Egyptians started. In other words, as long as Jacob was alive, the Egyptians were like, whoa, because Jacob saved them. His coming, they understood, ended the famine, and they revered him for that. There was actually a reason he did not want to be buried in Egypt, because he knew they were turning him a god. It's actually interesting, if you remember, at the end of the last Torah portion in Barathees, in Genesis, after the passing of Jacob, when suddenly the brothers were no longer by Joseph's table, and they thought, oh, maybe now he can show us that he really was upset with us this whole time. But he didn't want to do that in front of our father, so what was he thinking? Why did he suddenly stop inviting them? So one commentary explains because already with the passing of Jacob, the Egyptians started hating the Jewish people and expressing it. And Joseph felt he, as the ruler, showing these extra favors to the Jews, his brothers, would incite the hatred more, and that's why he stopped. So right from the passing of Jacob, things started. But the Egyptians still didn't actually begin this plot of enslavement. They were too scared to do this until after the passing of the last of the tribe the one that lived the longest was Levi, and he lived 137 years. He passed away the last, so that's how we mark the true enslavement from his passing. Now, how long was the enslavement? Very interesting. To see God's kindness here, because in the covenant between the pieces, when God made this pact covenant with Abraham and said, "Your children will be in a foreign land and enslaved for 400 years and oppressed." enslaved, afflicted, and God in his kindness shortened it as much as possible. Meaning, instead of having 400 years in Egypt and enslaved, we did 190 of those years in Israel, because from the clock ticking with the birth of Isaac, we we first begin this promise of your children, well, that's Rachel we Isaac, the children, the child that was the father of the Jewish people, Ishmael, 13 years forward not have counted. So from Isaac's birth, we start the clock ticking, because being in the land of Canaan, when the other nations rule, we could be calling strangers in a strange land, so to speak. Not a strange land, but strangers, because others are ruling you. And when they did have to go to Egypt, it was for only 210, not 400 years. And of those 210 years, the real enslavement began after the passing of the last of Jacob's son who passed away. So when was that? So therefore the verse tells us, well, Levi passed away when he was 137. So based on that, how many years were they enslaved? Well, we can figure this out because we know that when they entered Israel, when they entered Egypt, sorry, Joseph was 39. He was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. There were seven years of plenty, and the brothers came after, finally Jacob came after two years of famine. So he was 39. Levi, who was the third son born, if you calculate it, was born probably four years before him. So if Joseph was 39, Levi was 43. Lady passed away when he was 137. If he was 43 when he entered Egypt and 137 when he passed away, he lived in Egypt 94 years. So the enslavement, the real affliction and enslavement that the Jews experienced in Egypt began 94 years after they entered. And we know they were there for 210. So 210 minus 94, 116. So in God's kindness, this 400-year figure, he shrunk down, so the true enslavement was 116 years. And that's why we know how many years Lady lived. The sons of Gershon, remember, they have three sons, Gershon, Qasemari, the sons of Gershon, Livni, Shimi, and their families. The sons of Gahaz, Amram, Yitzhar, Hebron, and Uzziah. And the years of Gahaz, 133. Now, why are we mentioning the years of Gahaz? Because, again, we want to point out that this 400 years that God commanded or decreed was going to be 400-year enslavement in Exodus, couldn't possibly be 400. And we know, again, because it started by the birth of Isaac, it actually was 210. But this proof and actually gives this proof in Genesis, in Bereshit, when he discusses this issue. If we look here at the genealogy, Levi had a son named Kahas. Kahas had a son named Amram. Amram had a son named Moshe. So we see here a clear, straight line. And Kahas, we see the verse tells us his years. He lived 133 years. And Kahas entered Egypt. I mean, he was born before they went to Egypt. But let's for 10, so to speak, he was born exactly when they came to Egypt, which he wasn't. He wasn't a newborn baby like you have. <laughs> We have 133 of his years. We also know how many years Amram lived. Amram is 137. And we know how old Moses, Moshe was when they left Egypt. That's famous. He was 80. So if we look at the straight line of grandfather, son, grandson, this is one line of people. Kahas was born before they entered Egypt. Amram was born in Egypt, and Moses leaves Egypt. Let's add those numbers, 133, 137, and 80. You get like 350. Now, does that mean they were in Egypt for 350 years? No, because we know again, Kahus was born before he entered Egypt, and obviously the years overlap. I mean, Kahus didn't pass away the second Amram was born, and Amram didn't pass away the second Moses was born. So we have many overlapped years of Cahaz's 133 and Amram's 137 and Moses's 80. To such a degree, that all those years in total in Egypt were 210. So this is the proof how we know that God did not have the Jews stay in Egypt for 400 years. Because even if you added all these numbers and Cahaz was born right when they got there, which he wasn't and there was no overlap, which thank God there was, it's still only 350. So this is Rosh is proof, both here and in Genesis, that they were not 400 years in Egypt. They were from the birth of Isaac, which therefore means if he counts on the birth of Isaac, they were 190 years in Canaan, in the land of Israel. That was not yet ours, and that's why we could be called sojourners, strangers there. And 210 more severe affliction in Egypt itself. That was Gerson, that was Gehaz. Now we see the third son. And the sons of Merari, because Levi has three. The sons of Merari, Machli, and Mushi. These are the families of Levi. Now we're going to focus. We're not focusing on all three sons. We're not focusing on all of these grandsons of Levi. We're focusing on the line that we're following here. So Amram, the son of Gehaz, the son of Levi. So Amram took Yochefet, his aunt, as a wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of Amram's life were 137. Again, the Torah writes those years, as Rashi just explained, we can make the calculation we just discussed at Lent. Bechir was the aunt of Amram because she was also the daughter of Levi. She was the sister of God. There weren't too many girls. We, we, we know who they were. <laughs> and now the sons of Yitzhar, Korah, Nafeg, and Zechri the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Atzafan, and Sisri. Aaron took Elisheva, the daughter of Aminadav, the sister of Nachshon, the famous Nachshon ben Aminadav who went into the sea, for himself as a wife, and she gave birth to him, Nadav, Avihu, Elazar, and Isamah. Now, it's interesting why in the world, obviously, we could figure out that Elisheva is the daughter of Aminadov. We know she's a sister of Nashem, the son of Aminadav, who is a very famous personality. So why does the verse bother writing the obvious? It's actually to teach us a lesson. The fact that it writes Yochavid's know, brother is to teach us that if you marry a woman, look into her brothers. Her brothers will... Uh, Sort of tell you what your children might become like. So obviously, it was good, good stock. And continuing this lineage, the sons of Kehirach, Asir, Akana, Aviasa, these are the families of Kehirach. Now Elazar, okay, we have Aaron and Elisheva, who had those four children: Nadav, Aviyah, Elazar, Nissana. Elazar, the son of Aaron, took. From the daughters of Putiel, for him as a wife, and she gave birth to him These are the leaders of the families of the Levites according to their families. So who is this? The daughters of Putiel. So Putiel alludes to two ancestors here. And it's interesting. It's interesting that um, Rashi explains the first half of this name, the put part, and then if you look at Saibashi in the Hebrew, there's a yud, and then God's name. And the yud would imply um, plural. Um, So, whatever, Sifro versus Sifro. The yud there implies there's a plural going on. So the plural Rashi is taking to mean that there's more than one reason, there's more than one ancestor, so to speak, that we're referring to here as And That's why Rashi gives us two explanations for who this putihel is. Because again, the put is a reference to someone, and the yud following it is a reference to more than one. So therefore Rashi says, okay, more than one, I don't know a number, there's two here. So who are the two putiyos that we're talking about that were the ancestors of this woman? So one is a reference to Yisro. So Yisro was called Putio because he fattened cows for idolatrous service before he learned about God. Puti, like pitein to fatten, and le. for God so he's fattening for God so to speak this that's one ancestor Yisro who of course became now this doesn't sound like a very complimentary description of him but we know he became righteous and rejected all the idols and he you know self sacrificed because of his rejection of the idols as we learned in the previous Torah portion and he actually left it all and went to the desert and inspired the Jews and he went back to bring the knowledge of God to the people of Midian so Definitely, in the end, he's truly a very, very, very worthy person. And the second ancestor is Joseph. And Joseph here, putiel pitet, that he overcame his evil inclination. The word pitet means to oppose or disparaging. So he was able to be opposing for the sake of God this evil inclination that was trying to pull him down when he was in Egypt and in being seduced by the wife of Potiphar. So we see from both of these names, both of these ancestors, Yisro and Yosef, Joseph, were both very, very, very strong people, very strong to God, and these were the ancestors of the wife of el Aaron's son. And we see, therefore, where we're coming from with um, Pinchas, who, of course, is the child of this marriage, and we know later we'll learn, Pinchas' zealous nature and his self-sacrifice, as we see later, for God. So this was like a brief tour of the lineage of the families of Aaron and Moses, for us to understand and appreciate that truly they are worthy from this perspective, of being the leaders of the Jewish people. And truly, before Moses came, Aaron was the leader of the Jews in Egypt. And before Aaron, his father, Amram, was the leader of the Jews in Egypt. So this is coming from a line of leaders of the Jews. This is Aaron and Moses to whom God said, take the children of Israel out of Egypt according to their hosts, to their legions. So this is Aaron and Moses, as Rashi explained. The people we mentioned before, that Yochaveh bore to Amram. You know, this specific Aaron and Moses we're talking about here. And this is Aaron and Moses that God said, Rashi points out that it's interesting because here we see Aaron before Moses and, of course, many other places, Moses before Aaron. So why does the Torah flip the order to show us that they were equal in significance? In other words, sometimes Moses goes first, sometimes Aaron goes first, because even though we might think this one takes precedence over this one, really it's not true. They had different spiritual energies, different, very powerful ways of serving God, and in essence different but equal. And they're saying, take the children of Israel out of Egypt, al to that's the Hebrew. Al literally means on, which of course wouldn't make sense here. The Rashi explains that there are times when that word on could mean this one-letter prefix, b in by. So taking the children of Israel out of Egypt by, according to their host, their legion. They're the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to take the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is, now we flip it, this is Moses and Aaron. So they are the ones who were commanded to do this, and they are the ones, Rashi says, who fulfilled all the commandments, because otherwise we're looking we for this one more time. We already know very clearly that they are God's emissaries to Pharaoh. So repeating this one more time, Rashi is saying is to teach us, and they fulfilled it. And this is Moses and Aaron, who were steadfast in their mission, in their righteousness, from the beginning to the end. If you notice, this is the third time we've mentioned in very quick succession Moses and Aaron's name. But the first time it's talking about taking them out of Egypt, the second time it's talking about speaking to Pharaoh, and here it's not, relating to any specific event. So that's why Rashi is interpreting it as just a general reference to their righteousness throughout the entire mission. And it was on the day that God spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. So that sort of almost seems like a phrase, an introductory phrase, and Rashi says, yes, this is an incomplete phrase because it's sort of linked to the following verse, but we're not going to do the following verse now because that begins tomorrow's portion. When we come back to, after we just discussed the lineage, we took this segue to focus on their lineage. Now we're coming back to the words of God, giving them their mission to Pharaoh.